Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of Retail Initiative. I am so excited for what you're about to hear. This episode is with my friend and the founder of the Boutique Hub, Ashley Alderson. If you're not familiar with the Boutique Hub, they are an organization that is part community for boutique owners and other retailers, and then a ton of education and resources. They put on an incredible event. But this episode, we dive into some incredible things. We talk community over competition. We share some of our story. There's some fun stuff in there. And then we dive into what we can be looking forward to in Q4. Uh, so definitely stick around for this and I can't wait to hear what you think. So let's dive in. If you're listening, we'll cue the theme and then we'll get straight into the interview. The rules of retail are changing. One by one, corporate retailers are closing their doors and some call it the death of retail. But those rules never apply to independent retailers like us. We're writing our own rules. We're here to answer the questions about how to grow your business, stay competitive, and still have a life. I'm Josh Orr, and this is the Retail Initiative Podcast. All right. So here with me is Ashley Alderson, which if you don't know who she is, you must be living under a rock or you don't do anything with retail. Ashley, thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so pumped to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yes. Well, before we get into it, something that I need to, I just want to say publicly, um, I texted you this a few weeks ago when I was in the middle of my own event. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the story, if, if you people don't, if, for people that don't know this, is like there's a famous story of the four minute mile and mm-hmm. for centuries people were trying to run a mile in, one, in four minutes. And like literally for centuries, people tried and they failed. And then in 1954, this guy named Roger Bannister finally ran the four minute mile. But what's nuts is that like it took centuries to get there and it took weeks for the next person to do it and a week for the next person. And then it became the norm among professional runners. And that happened, I believe. And I think, Ashley, you would share in this because people believed it was possible. And when they believed it was possible, they were able to do something. And a lot of what I get to do right now, I really can say happened because I saw what you were doing in the retail world and the impact that you were making on people's lives. And you were probably the first person where I was like, oh my gosh, like this is possible. This is possible to make an impact. And I I just want to say that, like you've made such an impact on me and so many people. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, I I get goosebumps hearing you say that. I love that. Thank you. Um, I remember when you and I very first met and I feel like I owe a thanks to Dallas Market Center actually for this chance encounter because really you reached out to me and said, hey, how'd you get into Dallas Market Center? I see what you're doing. I want to meet you. And like, we just randomly went and met up and filmed a video together and like all this random stuff then happened thereafter. But um, meeting you has been such a pleasure for me too. Like I have so enjoyed just creating a friendship with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing to, to be friends with someone who sees the industry from a similar vantage point. And I just think we complement each other so well, Josh. So I'm thankful for your friendship above all. Well, well I, I appreciate that for the people that don't know, I know like within our, like our little bubble, the boutique hub is, is widely known and like everyone knows what it is. And I feel like everyone I know is in it. Um, but for people that are listening that don't know, um, I guess, can you share like, what, what is the Boutique Hub? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the Boutique Hub is 
Uh, I look at it as the central connection point for the entire boutique industry. We try to bring every tool and resource that a boutique owner could possibly need to be successful under one roof. So we really focus on three key pillars. Um, the first is education. So we want the highest quality expert level education. I believe if we don't know the answer to it, we will find someone who does. And we bring that all under one roof for every type of store and every level of store from brand new to multi-million dollar store. Um, the second piece for us is really community. And that's the heart of what we do. Um, community over competition has always been our motto back before it was cool, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> it was not a thing when we first started. And um, it's been amazing to see how people's lives have changed by like living that um, methodology. So community is really a big piece of it, connecting people from all over the world with similar interests and businesses. Um, and then the third piece for us is wholesale. So how can we help retailers buy more efficiently, buy from wholesalers that are vetted, that they know that they trust. And then also we really try to bring the power of our community together to get great pricing on a lot of the things that people are buying on a regular basis. So we, we try to be those things that, so that retailers can work not just in their business, but on their business. That's incredible. And so like, where did, where did the idea come from? Like, cause the, like now, like for people that are coming in now, it's like, sometimes I think seem, things seem like it was the idea of like, of course, you're just a super brilliant person and you came up with this idea and like you and a few people had a meeting and then here's the boutique hub, but it, it wasn't that simple. And so like, where, where did this whole thing come from? I forget now, like the people that just joined the boutique hub recently, like they don't know the backstory or you know, we have so many like OG members who were here since the very beginning. So it's, it's strange to think people think this just happened. I think of it more like a friends episode, you know, like with Ross and the couch and he's yelling pivot. Like that's how I feel the boutique hub came to be because originally I'm from North Dakota and that's not exactly a fashion Mecca. I grew up what? in a small town. I, I know. Surprising. Surprising. It is now we're making a comeback. Um, thanks to the internet. So when I grew up, I felt like fashion was New York and it was LA, but what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us in the Midwest? You know, who we just, when we traveled, we love discovering cute stores in Texas and everywhere else, but we wanted access to the same sorts of things at home. And so really that was, I loved retail. I love small businesses. I worked in economic development for nine years in North Dakota during the height of the oil boom, which was like a gold rush for us during the Bakken. Um, and I just loved small business stories. And so how the boutique up first started was when we moved um, from North Dakota to Wisconsin, where my husband's from, and I left my career in economic development. I was like, you know, Eric, I've always wanted to build this like online shopping mall of boutiques. So people like me from the Midwest, from the middle of nowhere, we could have access to these really cool stores from around the world and we could all shop them like one online shopping mall. And so that was the idea. So when we moved, Eric had gotten an, a bonus in the oil field. And he was like top salesman for his company or something. And so we got this bonus and we took it and we invested everything we had into hiring a web developer. And we were like, okay, we have this idea, just build it for us. And so we did, and he did. And when we started to build it and build this online shopping mall, it was really the chicken and the egg. Like we didn't have enough boutiques to attract enough shoppers and there weren't enough shoppers to attract enough boutiques. And we were stuck in this weird middle position that just couldn't grow. And then what I realized when I started to have all these conversations with boutique owners about what we were building is they just needed a community. They just needed 
like support and one another and answers to their questions. And a lot of the questions they were asking, even though I wasn't a boutique owner at the time, I had access to them because I'd been doing economic development. I ran a small business development center for a long time. So I knew how to do, you know, all their financial projections and um, Facebook ads were new at the time and social media and merchandising and team development, all that. So I felt like I just needed to answer some questions and then bring in people who are smarter than me to answer anything that I couldn't cover and just build this community that was a backbone for boutique owners. And so that's really how the pivot happened was it was boutique Hub kind of became by accident. We were just trying to fill needs and serve people and meet them where they are. And this is the beauty of what it's become. And I'm just lucky to be along for the ride of it all. Gosh, that's incredible. And gosh, I mean, there's so many things that I could like angles that I could take from that, but my, my favorite, and I think what applies, um, so of course retailers, but really any business is um, like we can come in with a plan and like your willingness to shift that so quickly once you identified a need. And I think I can even, even in my own business where I, I've had this idea and I've just stuck with it too long. And I saw the need, but I, I just re- didn't want to pivot because it wasn't my original idea, but you saw that need and you shifted so quickly. And I think people could learn from that because I really do think like one of the mistakes, cause I've, I like you're, you've become well-known in our industry and people will reference you as like this idea of success. And what they don't see is like what you were feeling and what that was like when things weren't like when there weren't home runs, when, yeah. when you were, yeah. Like when there was just failure after failure, but you pivoted and then in doing that, you saw something that took off. So, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned community over competition, which (laughs) I love you even said like before it was cool because it it is something that we're starting to see more now. And I, I don't know if you coined the term or if you just kind of made it big again, but so when you say that, like, what do you mean? Cause I think, yeah, we love the idea, but we also are competitors in a sense. I don't necessarily mean me and you, although we can get to, to that, but I even mean like just in the business community, like we have, we see people that are actual friends, but they are going after the same customer. How do you see that playing out in people's lives? I love this question. Um, so how I first came about this term was when I was in economic development, there was this embroidery shop in my small town. And this is, again, this is pre-social media, pre-internet, pre-all these things. And there was another shop across the street. When the embroidery shop, and it was like a men's boutique and a tux business and that sort of thing, when they were going to go out of business, when they were going to sell their business and relocate because they were retiring, the business from across the street came in and they were like, hey, you as an economic development person need to do something to fill this store. We have to have another boutique or another you know clothing store across the street. And I I was like, really? Why? Like, I would think that was your competitor, right? Like there'd be more business for you if they're gone. And they're like, no, anytime two or more stores come together, you become a shopping destination and there's more for all of us. And that like, I'll never forget that lesson. It just knocked my socks off. Yeah. Yeah. In a small town. And so that really became my motto in economic development as well. And it just fits so well for, for what we do. So here's where I see it today. There's a lot of people who give community over competition lip service, but don't really live it. It Mm -hmm. can be fake for a lot of people. So I guess a couple things, like I think there's such good examples of 
you know, boutiques that lift each other up in a couple ways. Number one, just in daily advice, right? If someone comes into the hub and asks a question and someone genuinely answers it, like there's so much you can do to lift one another up that really isn't taking away. It's like if you have an apple orchard and someone comes and says, hey, mister, can I please pick a couple apples? And you're like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I have a whole orchard of them, right? There's a difference in them coming and picking a couple apples and then totally like cleaning out your apple orchard. There's a complete difference. So to me, like that general back and forth of I'll share a couple, you share a couple, a rising tide really does lift all ships in that area. Mm -hmm. And this business is freaking hard and there will be ups and there will be downs. And I think if you're in it for the long run, you know that. And so you're a lot more willing to share with someone who maybe is in a low season because you know, your low season is probably going to be coming next month and you want someone to do that in return. And I just think that's good servant leadership, right? Um, The other thing I think that's really helpful is, you know, the stores that come in across the street, again, you are a shopping destination when you work together. So when I see stores like welcome another store with open arms and send them flowers and take them out to lunch and that sort of thing, or go to market together, but maybe have an unspoken rule of like, you buy this, I'll buy that, but we'll try to set some boundaries. I think that's another great example of community over competition. And then a third great example is, boy, natural disasters happen. And I've seen some amazing displays of people sending inventory and sending money and, you know, working for free and flying across the country. And I mean, there's so many good ways to help people. So community is being in community. It doesn't mean you're not competing. You're still competing, right? You just have to really set your target on like, what am I competing for? And my boutique customer isn't just shopping me. She's going to shop 10 other stores like me. And it's really selfish to think she's only going to stick to one store. So I have to be able to put my pride aside and not let my pride get hurt to think that she's going to go do business with the store across the street too. I should hope that she would. And if I, I'm sorry, I'm like totally rambling, Josh, but if I'm a store owner and there's another store across the street, and I think I'm going to deter my customer from going over there by bad talking that other boutique, that customer will never come back to me again, because that's my character. Like if you truly are a servant leader, that will show through 10 times out of 10 versus you just giving community over competition lip service, but then really not wanting to support that other business. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. That reminds me of, um, one, I'm, I'm really into craft beer and one of my favorite breweries is called Dogfish Head, mm. and their, their CEO who had like a TV show on discovery channel and all this stuff like ran this nonprofit to support craft breweries. And so this question on the show was presented to him of like, why are you pushing on these other craft breweries? And he's like, do you not get that? Like, if I can get people off the light beer aisle and I can get people onto the craft beer aisle, sometimes they're going to buy mine and sometimes they're going to buy theirs and sometimes, but they weren't even on my aisle before. So if I can get them on our aisle, we have a better chance of selling them. So I think Okay. One of the things that I see all the time, and I understand where, where people are coming from. I really do like, and I, I can understand their feeling, but it's like, okay, I get community over competition, but there's that, that big, but that yeah. just should be in all caps and size, like 64 font. They're mixed um, a lot. Everyone's yeah. got a big, butt. yes. Yep. Um, that butt is there and it's like, but there, there's this girl that opened a shop across town or this person is doing this and they're taking all my brands and they're taking my social posts and their, their site looks just like mine and whatever. And let's even assume that the person's not off. Like this person is kind of modeling from them. 
or stealing from them, however you want to want to call it. Like, yeah. how do you advise this person who wants to live it out? They really do. But when the rubber is meeting the road, it's, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy decision to make. Yeah. I have lived that. I still, to a certain extent, live it. There's more boutique hub knockoffs than I can even shake a stick at anymore. Um, there's some in particular that have been very bold about taking our content and ideas and everything about our business model and totally repurposing it. Um, so you're human to have those feelings. I still have those feelings sometimes, but I feel like what I've learned is, um, I can be that Roger Bannister. Like I can run a lot faster when I have someone on my heels pushing me. So you have to like, make sure you're using the energy in the right way. Is it that energy? Is it making you fearful? Is it casting doubt or are you using the energy to go, Oh my gosh, this is going to make me even better because I can innovate faster. Like this is really pushing me in the right direction. So I would just advise you to think about how can you be better and let them copy, let them chase you, do everything you can to protect yourself, get your trademarks protected, get your DMCA. So you can do a takedown if you have to like make sure you're protected and stand your ground for sure. But then at the same time, just let them race with you. Cause you're going to beat them every single step of the way. That's so good. And I, I think it's worth sharing here. Like, to a degree, like you and I have our own story in this. And when I was on your podcast, we kind of talked about it, which if you haven't heard that episode, we'll link it in the show notes. Uh, And I was just invited to come back on your show again, which I'm very excited about. And so once that's out, we'll update the show notes to link to that one as well. Um, Which as a side note, if you guys have not listened to the boutique, boutique chat podcast, oh my gosh, it is like if I were to like say like top three podcasts that a retailer should be listening to, that's probably number one. I would put it above my own. Stop so it. it's so good. You interview so many good people and yeah, I love it. Thank but you. you and I have our own story mm-hmm. in this. Um, and, and I, why I think it's worth sharing is I want to say this carefully, but it's really easy for someone to look at you and I'm being honest because I've even heard this. It's somewhat e- it's easy to look at you and be like, well, it's easy for you to say. You don't have a boutique like I do. You're not having to deal with this like I am. And of course, there's things behind the scenes that people aren't seeing. Um, but I, yeah. like, let's we can acknowledge the elephant in the room of like, I have a conference, I have a course, I have these pieces that are largely women's retailers. And though like yeah. we're kind of in our lane and we gosh, we give shout outs to the hub and everything. And like, I pushed our whole conference to the hub inventory, even though that exists from the outside, it could look like there's some competition there. Yeah. Um, so like, what if, and we could go back in that further back in that story, if you want to, um, yeah, like what, what's your, I guess, like, what's the difference between manifesting the things that we're doing and the people you talk about that are like copycat hubs, and in yeah. all of that, man, I just, someone once said to me, character is who you are in the dark. And I think we all have a good read on that. Like the reason I think it's different for you and I is we've worked hard just genuinely to be friends. Like I genuinely care about you mm-hmm. when you're like, when you're struggling with something, I want to help you with that. I care about your family. Like I want to see you be successful. 
but you and I have also really talked about like, hey, here's my lane, here's your lane. How can they complement one another? Like we've had that com that conversation. So it makes it so much easier for us to just really be all in for one another. And it's the same thing, like a boutique owner, you guys that are listening, you know, that are boutique owners, you have diverse needs. And um, I may sound like a broken record to you sometimes. And so it's refreshing to go hear it. And maybe Josh frames the same lesson in a different way so that it's easier for you to digest and, and take hold of. And maybe I do the same for him. Ultimately, I know Josh is a good person. And I know he wants what's best for people. And I know he feels the same about me. So I think that's why you and I work. And there's others, like I know we both, like we have others in this industry that we definitely collaborate with. But um, I mean, what is the saying? Fool me once, shame on (laughs) whatever. Like that happens. I'll give everyone the benefit of the doubt until your character proves otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then it's okay to move on. Yeah, gosh, that's powerful. And I actually to share a a level deeper because I I think Ashley and I could actually be a display of a good example. So um, my background, and I haven't even shared a lot of this on the podcast, but originally I was doing point of sale and like I saw Ashley and I was like, oh my gosh, like she's making such an impact. And I was learning all these things at the same time. And so I, um, I started a retail initiative was originally like, it was going to have a community element. It was going to have a membership and it was and it might sound a little familiar. And, uh, you know, so I launched this site with all these things and whatever. And I get this email from Ashley. Actually, I don't. I get this email from Beth, who's her, like, I don't want to say she's your number two. She's your number one. Let's be honest. Um, and uh, and she's like, hey, can we talk? And we show up in the Zoom and then you're there. And I'm like, oh, sh- Nikes, like something's up here. But here is the cool. So first, first off, but here's the lesson I think that we, you could learn from this and where I want to point it out is Ashley was like, you were so clear with me about like where you felt like I was copying where you felt. And at that time I kind of was, I didn't mean to, but I definitely was. And that's, I think the second thing that I think that we can do is sometimes like it's okay to both confront and have the hard conversation and give a benefit of the doubt until the person's character proves otherwise That's because because you approached me you were blunt and I like and if I'm honest like at the time the the real reason was I was so in the hub and it was one of the only places I was in the retail world that it was like the only example that I had and I didn't have a lot of other places to pull from and so without even meaning to I was copying and but when you confronted, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's not what I meant to do. And so we shifted a lot of what we were doing because because of that. And so you one, you confronted as you should have. Two, you gave the benefit of the doubt. And when I clarified, like, and you forgave, you forgave. And sent, and I realized like if we went and did it again, it'd be a different story. Yeah. Um, but it like you really displayed that in a really healthy way. And that's something I appreciate about you. So if you've ever looked at like Ashley or the hub and you're like, well, that's easy for you guys to say, like I've witnessed firsthand Ashley live this out. Um, so kudos to you in that. No, I thank you for that. I, I just feel like I'm the son of a, or I'm the son of a, I'm the daughter of a, a rancher, right? I'm also a son of a, 
Never mind. Sorry, children listening. Um, Can confirm. I am the daughter of a rancher. <laughs> yeah, whose number one like value in life was integrity, right? Like that's everything that was preached into me as a child was like your integrity is all you have, your word is all you have. You have to be willing to do business on a handshake. Like that's who I am. And so I think that's why you and I work, right? Is because we had that conversation. It was hard. I remember where I was when we had that conversation, but then at the end, it was like, okay, shake on it. Boom, done. Like your words, your word, my words, my word, let's move on. All's well with the world. So for whatever that's worth, not everyone can operate that way. Like you've just got to be a good read of character and make judgment calls where you think you can and protect yourself, but then like let the past be the past and move forward. And I do think in the boutique industry, this is, you know, you probably see this exact same thing, Josh, when a lot of new boutiques get started, they're like, oh, I'm getting started because I'm going to be like the pink lily, or I'm going to be like Philly flair. I'm going to be another online trendy, affordable boutique. And then when they get around to the hub, I'm like, stop being an online trendy, affordable boutique. Like we don't need more of those. Like the world needs what you have specifically you, because you're different than the rest of them. So what can you do to serve your customer? And so if you think about all the most successful boutiques that we know, they're successful because they're so incredibly unique and they bring their own flavor and their own personality and their own spin and their own life experience and their own education to their customers. And that's what makes them just totally blow up. So there's no, when I think about boutique success and um, you know, trying to be like somebody else, you can't be your best imitation of someone else. You can only be who God made you to be. And that's what makes all these stores so successful is they know what it is and they lean hard into it. Gosh, preach. That is, yeah, that is, that is probably one massive area where you and I just are so in tune because like, it really is like you understand your customer, you understand your brand and those have to be different. And trying to be like everyone else is just never, you're never going to stand out. You're like, how do I stand out from the crowd? I'm like, be you. Like, you're probably a little weird. Be and your okay. weird self because there's other weird people out there and they're going to love you. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to get into some current stuff because yeah. like, let's just be real. I think a lot of businesses are having a difficult time mm-hmm. and we're seeing shifts in the economy just a lot is moving in the world. Um, you know, we're coming out of COVID, which was supposed to be awful and it turned out to be awesome. And, uh, but here we are and whatever. So like, what do you see going on in the world as it pertains to the retail industry right now? Mm, uh, a lot. So there's good and bad, right? There's, there's stores that I feel like, let me back up. The economy that we're in, let's start there. Um, it's real, it's a struggle. I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Personally, I think it's going to be a ways out and um, all the analysts, I think, are kind of saying the same thing. I think we need to watch stock market trends. And that says a lot. However, um, if you look back in the last recession that we had, I always think this is interesting. Lipstick sales, lipstick sales were the highest they've ever been during the last recession. And that's because it was a quick disposable, easy access product that made women feel confident and beautiful and they could treat themselves even when the world around them was crap. And I think that there's a lot of people that will be looking when groceries are expensive, all these things are expensive. They're still going to be looking for ways to look good, feel good, treat themselves. And so they're going to be looking to boutiques to do that. 
more than they're going to be looking to big box stores, right? Or anywhere else. They want to come to you because you make them feel a certain way. So the more a store right now can lean into their customer relationships, their collections, their education, really dialing in on who their customer is and those quick turn, easy, feel good products. Those things are really important because people don't buy, you know, products. People buy the emotion, the emotion that's associated with the product and people don't do business with companies. They do business with people. So I think those are the most important things that are going to pull you out of what's happening. And right now there are stores that are struggling, but there's also a lot of stores right now that are doing really well. And it's because I think they've really nailed that, like who is their customer and how are they serving them right now? Um, I think inventory is probably a whole nother topic you and I could like go down a rabbit hole on. Right now, you have to be smart with your inventory and you cannot get stuck with a bunch of overstock. You can't get emotionally attached. Um, it's got to be like dollar bills hanging on a hanger or dollar bills sitting in a bin. And how do I get them back in my pocket? So those shifts are big. We can't we can't be as, um, I don't know, as, as inventory heavy as we once were. We've got to be really lean and really smart in business and really lean into who our customer is right now. I love that. So you're saying that we shouldn't be putting our, our, our stash in like storage units and bringing it out the next season. Stop it. No, <laughs> stop that right now. Get that cash in your pocket. Absolutely. I, I say it joking about it, but there's a lot I know that, that I know. Um, and so if that's you, don't do that. Uh, you can talk to, you can gosh, learn so much from inventory from the hub. You can talk to our mutual friends at management one and the things that they do. Um, so let's, let's take that from like the big high level economy mm-hmm. and like where that is right now. Um, like we're going into Q4 retailers, like need, even if they're, they're doing well, I don't think any retailers like eh, Q4, whatever, maybe REI, but every other business is, is really leaning on Q4 to make a difference. Like what, what do you think maybe even different from years past, but what do you think are kind of the key things to focus on going into Q4 this year? Mm. Um, first is you got to be early. If I'm like a big Ricky Bobby fan, right? If you ain't first, you're last. So when it comes to planning your collections and planning your bundles and your gifts and your merchandising and your homepage and your emails and all that stuff, um, you've got to be really early because I think the consumer's shopping earlier. She's getting deals different places a lot earlier. So I think you just have to be thoughtful, plan it out and get your things out as early as possible. We started to push Valentine's Day collections on Hubventory this week, which is wild. But I think everything's got to go back to a lot earlier cycle and trend cycle as well. Um, I also would say second thing is you don't have to compete with the big box stores. So there's going to be deeper discounts at big box stores this year than there ever has been because of inventory, because of the economy. You don't have to compete with that. That's not who you are. Cheap ain't loyal. You're not Walmart. Who are you? You're the person who gives an experience. So when you're planning out your collections and everything you're going to do for the fourth quarter, I would lean really hard on what's a promotion I can run, not what's a sale that I can run. There's a huge Mm. difference in that. How can I attract people to my space without selling the diamonds with the dirt? Those are two big things. I love that. And I guess a quick thing, because I love Pink Friday. If there's anything you've done that's so freaking cool, Pink Friday. Um, if for people that aren't aware, like what is pink Friday and why is it important in the retail world? 
Yes. So I, I love the idea when Amex first came out with small business Saturday, I've always loved it. But the one thing that always really like, I just was like, it was a pain point for me about it was it came after black Friday. And so everyone had already spent their cash on black Friday at these big box stores. And it was like small businesses with with this like little afterthought. Right. So pink Friday for us is a complete flip on that. It's always the Friday before Black Friday, always, every year. And it's not just an opportunity for you to run a promotion and to get people in the store and to celebrate, right, and to get the dollar in your pocket first. But more than that, I really want it to be a reason for you to tell your story. So this is all about customer experience, customer appreciation, sharing why you're in business, who you serve, how you give back to the community, what your mission is, just really lifting the veil and going behind the scenes, but also then tacking that on with your media relationships. So, you know, I'm like a marketing brain. I love speaking marketing and PR has to be central to that. So if you can create a list of who all of your local media agencies are, local, regional, statewide, whatever, keep in mind, I was in North Dakota. There was like one statewide newspaper and that was basically it. So options were limited, but if you can get in contact with the media and especially this year when everything in the news is doom and gloom about how terrible the economy is, you have an opportunity to be a bright light and say, hey, would you like to come behind the scenes with me on Pink Friday? I just want to show you what it's like for small businesses right now. And then tell the story from your angle. And editors are looking for that. They're busy. They're working hard. They're trying to find stories. And you can put yours front and center on Pink Friday. My gosh, I love it. And so if you don't know about it and you're interested, we'll put the link to Pink Friday and all the details around signing up for it and how to get started. Like you guys put so many resources out there. Like, gosh, the things that are available at the hub, like the holiday marketing masterclass, the, all the pink Friday resources, the free education or not, or, or at least what's available to members is yeah. unbelievable. Like I've, I, like I tune in still and <laughs> like seeing the lives in the last few weeks have been awesome. Like you guys are putting out like, honestly, what people are charging for like huge courses, like y'all put out is like just Facebook lives, which is, <laughs> crazy. Um, okay. This has been so good. And I think you've given a lot of insight and I hope that it's been inspiring for people before we go, when we were, and I was on your podcast last, you gave me rapid fire questions. And honestly, like I was like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe I was nervous. Who knows? Um, so I have a few questions that I want to ask you. They're not too embarrassing. Don't worry. None of them were really embarrassing. So here's the first one. I don't know. Let's hear it. I mean, give you five minutes. Okay. All right. First, what's an unpopular fashion opinion that you have? Crocs. I mean, it's like once you try them, your life has changed forever. I originally started them as like garden shoes. Like, I'll just wear these out. And then one day I found myself going to Walmart wearing Crocs. And I was like, look at, I fit right in. This is amazing. They're just so comfortable. Oh my gosh. I love it. All right. So can I tell you a Croc story quick? We took this picture. We had a team retreat at our house. We took this picture holding this like ink magazine because we'd made the ink 500. We made 164 that year. It was like amazing feat, right? We're going to take this team picture. If you look at the team picture, I don't know what I was thinking. I was wearing green Nike sweatpants and black Crocs. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, All right. So what is a book that has been just super impactful for you? that you're like, every business owner needs to read this book. Mm. Oh, okay. Two different periods of my life. First book that ever I ever read about mindset 
actually Eric, like someone on an airplane told Eric about the book, The Secret. So I feel like that's the foundation for everything. But then later on, I think that every high school kid should be required to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that's a really important one mm-hmm. about money mindset. Oh my gosh. I, well, I love both of those books. I mean, you and I share, like, I think we're both a little woo-woo when it <laughs> yeah. comes to stuck. I love Think and Grow Rich Ooh, and yeah. Napoleon Hill, but I think like those, that and The Secret are just kind of like two sides of the exact same coin in so many ways. Um, and yes. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Classic. I, honestly, like, where I would recommend it is two sides is like, like I grew up like poor, like actual poor. Mm-hmm. And the, the mindset that I had about money, it was so backwards and I just didn't even know it. And so one, it's helped as an entrepreneur, but where it's really helped in ways that I didn't, didn't know that it would is as a dad, like mm-hmm. the ways that I can talk to my kids about money now is so different. Like, I don't talk to my kids about going, like, let's go to college so you can go get a job. Maybe they will. And if that's the path they take, like by all means, but I don't want to assume that that's the case. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I grew up feeling like money was the root of all evil, you know, like that was the whole mantra and that, yeah, college was the only way to success. I absolutely disagree with that now. So it's definitely life changing for multiple generations. Yeah. Not to like go on a side thing, but I remember like, um, cause I grew up in a, like a really large Baptist church that was like pretty affluent, which I'm actually really glad that I grew up in. Cause I think a lot of my demeanor in that came from that side of my upbringing. But I remember when I would talk about family, like my friends' houses and all that stuff to my mom, my mom would always be like, we don't know what kind of debt they're in. And it like immediately, as soon as I talked with nice things, it was always associated with debt. There was never a... Wow they worked for it, their success, like they must've worked really hard. Like they're really blessed. It was never that it was always that. And there was just so much shifting that had to happen. Um, Okay. What is a piece of fashion that you just cannot wait to come back? Oh, hmm. Like clearly not out now, out now, but you're just like, Ooh, come back. Hmm. I'm going to think about this. I mean, I feel like boot cut jeans. I was really excited about them coming back. So it's, that's happening now. I will say the thing I never, ever want to come back is low rise jeans. Cause I mean, muffin top, like let's be honest. Um, and Chevron, I never want to come back again. Cause that lasted way too long. Oof, Chevron. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, like, I feel like every trend does make it's like seventies, eighties. I love that nineties grunge is back, but I'm kind of over it now. I can't say that I can nail down one other one specifically. It's going to come mm-hmm. back to me in the middle of the night now. I love it. Um, yeah, for me, it's bootcut jeans and I was excited cause I got to go to a two thousands party and I got to pull out my old diesel jeans Oh my gosh. Did and you- I was so ecstatic. Those are hand to this day. Like I've kept them because I'm like, they're coming back. And mm-hmm. I, it's my life goal to just keep fitting in them. But if, if I can keep that going on, like I'm going to be so happy. That's so lucky. Did you have like your Do you remember those at the time? Or like mm-hmm. Janko? You remember Janko jeans? 
I called them Jinko, but Jinko? like the, the huge ones. Yeah, yeah. Like oh no, my mom would let like me. down to the back of your knees. <laughs> oh my gosh, for me, I well, you and I are the same age. Like that was middle school. Yeah, but I loved it. Um, okay, so when a retailer comes to you and they are just like, I real, I'm serious about leveling up, and I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do whatever you say. What's the one thing that you say, like, start here. Mm. Uh, they don't want to hear this, but um, number one, it has to start with them. It has to start with how they're attacking their, their to-do list and their time. So I always go, like most of our courses and high level things, like we seriously go back to the four part to-do list. So what are you doing every single week that has to be done? like clockwork, right? So that we can batch it, we can create theme days, we can optimize your team around list number one. List number two is what are my big rocks this week? So what's the 20% of my list that's gonna get me 80% of the results? Or in other words, what is an income generating activity that you're working on? Mm -hmm. List number three is what comes later. So next week, next month, next year, it's not just on my running to-do list because that's like never ending, right? It's a song that never ends. And then the fourth list is what can I say no to and outsource? And to me, that one's the most important because most retailers that want to level up and scale, they're control freaks. And I am too. And we're just like the bottlenecks of our business trying to hang on and do all the things, but you can't scale. You have to shift. And this is what the four part to do list does for me is it shifts you from entrepreneur mindset to CEO mindset. So from hustling, DIYing, saving my way forward, kind of like that college mentality, right? Shifting that to CEO mindset where Mm -hmm. money is not the ultimate goal, time is. And the only way to create more time, because that's the only thing limited in the world, money's infinite, time is not. So in order to create more money, we have to create more time. In order to create more time, we have to invest money and outsource. So to me, that's where scaling starts. Gosh, that is so powerful. Um, Okay. Well, Ashley, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. My last question for people that are not in your world, but are are like, oh my gosh, this Ashley girl is brilliant. What, where do people start with you? Like if they're going to go somewhere right now, where do you want them to go to learn more about the hub, to learn more about what you're doing? Yes. So the boutique is the home to everything. You're going to find everything you need to know about growing your business on the hub. But if you really want to get a flavor for who we are and kind of like the more fun, kitschy things, our Instagram's amazing. I would say our meme game for retailers is a 10 out of 10. It's really good. So go to the boutique hub on Instagram. If you want a good laugh and some inspiration on the daily completely for free. And then if you feel so inclined to learn more, definitely go to the boutique Or if you want to see, you know, daily videos of cats, children, horses, goats, Lord knows whatever other shenanigans I'll get myself into. That's my personal Instagram and it's AJ Alderson. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thanks for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you and obviously being your friend is incredible. So thanks for being here and to the rest of you, I will see you next week. Appreciate you, Josh. Thank you. Hey, before you go. I hope this episode was valuable for you, but if you're wanting more, 
If you're interested in finally gaining traction online and getting off of the hamster wheel of feeling so busy but not getting the results that you're after, we put together a free training uh, where we dive into the exact system that we have used uh, to create scalable, rapid growth in the e-commerce sites for brick-and-mortar retailers. Uh, you can get this training at streamlineretail.com slash podcast. Again, that's streamlineretail.com slash podcast. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Can't wait to see you in our next episode. Thanks for tuning in.